it's interesting to see the different levels they're at. But for my students, they're taking it home and they're sharing it with their families and their broader community, which I think is great. Like so many of my students speak a different language and they've said, I want to take this and I want to teach classes in my community at my community groups in our native language. And I just think that that's the power of personal finance. And again, having these conversations is that you make a greater impact on the larger community. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by Life Transitions by Dr. Amy. Helping financial advisors and their clients have deeper, more meaningful conversations so that life changes are better connected to financial plans. To find out more, visit dramy.life. April is Financial Literacy Month, and at the Breaking Money Silence podcast, we are celebrating all month long by having guests that are really committed to breaking the money talk taboo and to ending the financial literacy crisis in this country. And so today, I'm very honored to be joined by somebody who is in the trenches. Her name is Courtney Pett, and she is a high school teacher at Winooski High School, which if you aren't from Vermont, you may not know where that is, but Winooski, Vermont is pretty close to Burlington. She works with 9th through 12th graders teaching business and personal finance, and she's been in the field of education for 16 years. God bless her. Mm -hmm. Uh, I imagine high school can't always be easy. And I met Courtney when I taught wealth psychology as part of Champlain College, They have a Center for Financial Literacy that's pretty nationally known, and they do the Summer Institute for Teachers. So I thought Courtney would be a great person on the podcast to talk about what is working and what is not working in terms of financial literacy education. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you. I mean, I think you know, a lot of times and a lot of our other guests are very valuable. They have very different perspectives than you, but you're the first person that I've interviewed that's actually doing the work in the school with the students. And you and I agree that financial literacy is an important life skill. And for those folks out there that don't know it, very few schools actually require a personal finance course as a a requirement for graduation. And so I'm wondering, Courtney, you've been in the system for a while. You've been doing work with the Summer Institute, which is now, I think, just the Institute. Uh, What do you think it is that is the roadblock to providing courses like yours in, in high schools across the country? Yeah. Unfortunately, I feel like there's a few roadblocks. I think if there was just one, it would be an easy problem to solve. But I think one of the main roadblocks is just teachers are also uncomfortable having these conversations and teaching students about personal finance. So sometimes teachers just don't have the training in this themselves. And it's not something that a lot of people grow up openly talking about. So I know that that was my experience where 
I, I went to school, studied business, but I never really was taught the specifics of personal finance. And it wasn't until I started teaching this that I said, wait a second, I've got to learn more myself so I can share this information with my students. And so I think if teachers lack the training and the confidence, then they're not going to sign up or volunteer to teach this class. And, and I think it really takes the teacher's initiative to bring this into schools. So for personal finance to be a requirement at most schools, there's state mandates, but at a lot of uh, schools where the state doesn't mandate it, it's really up to the grassroots efforts of the teachers and the parents and the community to say this needs to be a required class. And then I think on the part of schools, they might have some hesitation saying this costs too much money, but there are free resources out there. There's free curriculum. This should not cost anything at all for schools to offer this course. Yeah, there is a lot of curriculum out there. In fact, I, where I live right now, across the street lives a retired school teacher. And when I was writing my book, Breaking Money Silent, she came over for coffee and we talked a lot about her personal finance class that she ran uh, at the local school here. And she was really upset that that particular course was not carried on. So I think that really speaks to what you're saying, that you need a teacher like yourself who's going to be an advocate for the topic. And despite maybe feeling uncomfortable or not knowing all the the answers is willing to kind of dive in there with the students. Right. And I know there's so many training programs right now that are available to teachers too. And again, there, there are so many that are out there that are at no cost to teachers. So if teachers want to learn this to, to not only improve their own personal finances, but to help their students too, there's, there are so many resources for teachers. And so that brings me to, okay, there's all these resources. You've been teaching in the, your school system for several years. And so I'm curious, what actually works? Because I've seen a lot of these programs over the years, and I've always been curious which ones work and which ones don't. So in your experience, what works with the students? Yeah, so my teaching experience, I ended up going into teaching in a non-traditional route. So I had a degree in business, and I just thought teaching would be fun, rewarding, and engaging. <laughs> and it, and most days it is. But I know my mom laughs because I had a terrible experience myself as a high school student because everything that we were learning, I felt like was just a photocopied from, you know, from the five prior years, you know, where it was just the teacher was handing you a worksheet and sitting behind their desk and you were filling out the worksheet and then class was over. And so for me, I think it's really important for personal finance to be all about personal connections and to have everything personalized for students. And I can't think of a better topic to do that with. So, I mean, we start the class just trying to set the tone and have students envision what it's like to be millionaires and figure out what they could start doing to become millionaires later in life, just to try to even the playing field for students, which I think is important. And then we also talk about money personalities. I know that that's something that will probably be exciting for you. Yes, it is. I'm smiling here. Yep. Yeah. But I, I mean, I share a lot of my personal stories and my viewpoint on money, but then I also want students to know that my viewpoint isn't the correct viewpoint so that we can all look at money and think about money in different ways. But understand, we talk about conflicts and relationships right off at the beginning of class and how we can have arguments about money because of our values and our beliefs around them. So that's something we start class with. And then it's just a case of I don't like giving the students a worksheet with saying, here's a hypothetical car, figure out the calculations on how much if you want to buy this. I like to say to students, OK, if you want a car in the future, let's figure it out. Let's go online right now and see what cars are out there. Let's run the numbers. And so I like for everything to be something that's of interest to them and not something that I created for them as an example. So that really comes from your own experience of saying, hey, this is just like a cookie cutter approach. So you take a very personalized approach. And I, I do think, even if you look at like adult learning theory, 
that if you let us you know, make a decision as to what we're going to be studying, we are much more motivated. So what's the craziest car students ever picked to try to figure out if they could afford? Oh my gosh, they know about so many cars that I don't know about because they're just, they, they know all of these cars that are way out of my price range. So sometimes they'll throw out a name of a car and I'll say, that's not a car. And then they'll say, yeah, it is. It's a $250,000 car. And I'll say, well, how are you going to get that car on your $30,000 a year salary? So we, we like to have those conversations. Um, and I think that that's another thing is just students have no, like very little concept of how much things cost and how much they're going to earn when they're out of high school. I think they all have the illusion that they're going to graduate high school and, and immediately earn six figures. And, and so that's an interesting conversation to have in the class too. Yeah. And I imagine that social media is a big influence or kind of the celebrity culture we live in where it makes it look almost easy to be young and have that kind of wealth. Right. Yeah. So what doesn't work? I mean, you alluded to a couple of things, but have you ever like tried a lesson and it really hasn't gone well or you've witnessed something another teacher has done and you've thought that didn't fly? I mean, one of the things that I know a lot of teachers steer away from is I like giving students actual documents, like an actual lease to look over. And it might not be the most exciting class and engaging class, but I find that that works really well, but it doesn't work when I have students do a task that's too hard on their own. So what I really like to do is I like to model, again, talking about personal finance in the classroom. So I like to give an activity, but have students work on it as a team. So I find that if something is too advanced, then students may say, oh, I don't want to take this class because it's too hard. And if it's not a requirement, you want students to take your classes, so you don't want to steer them out of, out of your classroom. So I think just making sure that you're picking activities that are appropriate for the student and the learners in your classroom, but then also scaffolding them so that way students are working in groups and being able to help each other on assignments that might be harder. Well, and what I like about that as well is just, you know, being a proponent of having people talk about money at a very early age, they're learning that you can sit in a group and talk about money, whether it's mm -hmm. about a lease, whether it's about a car, you know, and without even realizing it, they're gaining a skill of knowing that it's okay to talk to the person next to them. Yeah. One of my favorite activities that I did for the first time this year is I did it as an icebreaker on the second or third day of class where I had the students imagine that they were roommates with each other in the group and they had to decide who was going to pay what bills. And it was, you know, a scenario of an apartment that they they were all going to share with each other. And so it was just a way to, to get them comfortable. And, and it was a fun icebreaker. And they talked for the whole 90 minutes, the, the entire class, and they were debating who was going to pay for what, who was going to do the cooking. And it was just a good indication to them of, of the decisions you have to make after high school, but then also how to talk about it and still stay friends. Yeah. Where were you when I went off to college and mm -hmm. fought over, you know, did you eat that in the refrigerator? Right. <laughs> My leftover sub. Uh, that sounds like a really cool activity. Now, I know you're also involved and a staff member at the Center for Financial Literacy at Champlain College. It happens to be a college that I now uh, teach online. I teach an organizational development class and I'm going to be developing a negotiation class there. But the Financial Literacy Center is kind of near and dear to my heart. Can you tell us a little bit about the center and, and what your role is there? Sure. So I actually found the center, not found, did, but found, <laughs> discovered the center when I first started teaching. So when I first started teaching, I knew I wanted to learn more about personal finance. I went to a conference and what resonated with me is at the conference, they said, we have all these business teachers teaching students about how to run their own businesses, but they don't know how to handle 
their personal finances first. And so that stood out to me. And I just said, I want to find every single opportunity to learn about personal finance. And then I discovered the Center for Financial Literacy was running a seminar that summer. I applied for it and it was just eye opening to me. It was at the start of my career. And there were so many things in that class that I had not learned about or been exposed to just in the areas of investing alone, for an example. But then it also dug deep into insurance and taxes and and things that weren't covered in my traditional schooling. And so I found that that course just opened my eyes and helped me think about my own personal finances in a completely different way. And then that gave me the confidence to bring it back and teach it to my students. So a lot of classes that are offered to teachers are classes with, well, here's how to teach that, which is great. Like here's a whole bunch of activities and lessons, but I don't necessarily know the reason and the rationale behind it or how all the pieces work. If you're a teacher, you're getting all these materials, but you can't answer students' questions. So I think that the Center for Financial Literacy just did such a great job. And it's a three credit graduate class, which is amazing for teachers, and it's offered for free. And now it's online. So teachers right now in New England can take it, but it'll be open to teachers all across the country. And so it's just such a great opportunity to get the the professional development credits that teachers need, plus learning something that's going to benefit both themselves and the students. So how did you go from being an attendee to being somebody who co-teaches it? Yeah, I was, well, I've been working um, at the state level and trying to advocate for some statewide standards for personal finance for the past few years. And I was working with John Pelletier, who's the co-teacher and the director of the center. And John had said, you know, that he was able to find some money and some sponsorship to run the program again. And he was looking for somebody to co-teach it. And he approached me and I was just thrilled because when he he said that he was bringing it back, I really wanted to just take it again as a student. And so now I just appreciate it so much because as a teacher, I can share input from what's happening in my classroom, but then I also can continue to learn from all these great teachers who take the class from all around the country. And so it's just, it's really a wonderful opportunity and I'm so glad to be involved with that. And it's just, it's fun to have the contrast between teaching the students in the classroom and then sharing with other teachers what works and what doesn't too on a, on a daily basis. Yeah. And I know I got to be part of that just for, you know, one afternoon and it was really interesting to see the mix of the curriculum and also, you know, I love teaching people about money mindsets and things like that. But it sounds like when it was live, it was all these different folks from different disciplines coming in. And I think the goal, what you're saying is to make the teachers comfortable, but to help them really understand finance, not just, oh, here's a lesson plan. And when it moved online, because I did an interview for the online version, Mm -hmm. um, but haven't you know, had an opportunity to really partake in what's on there. Is it different? Has anything changed? Is there anything that's beneficial now that it's online other than you can reach more teachers? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, it's a, it's a different environment. So when we had it in the summer and we had the teachers together for an intensive week, you really got to know people face to face. And so we're all, we're just trying to figure out how do we still make those face to face connections in an online environment. So that's a little bit different. But as far as the assignments, everything's the same. We're also having teachers, which I another thing that I love about the course is teachers develop their own action plan. So they develop something that's important to them that they want to bring back to their school or their classroom. And so sometimes teachers have never taught personal finance before and will develop a whole new curriculum and then they share that out. So we're able to do everything that we can do in person, but do it online. And the nice thing about online is teachers are busy and overwhelmed and being able to just log on on your lunch break and work on your class then is just, I think, 
a nice feature to an online class too. Yeah, no, I, I really love what the center's up to. And I will put a link to the center in the show notes along with your information. Yeah, I think it's a really great resource. So anybody who wants to check it out, it's the Center for Financial Literacy at Champlain College. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk from a different angle about financial literacy. We're going to talk a little bit about parents and what teachers can do to advocate. So we are with Courtney Paquette and we will be back in just a moment. Hey, it's Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, and I just wanted to say thank you for listening to the Breaking Money Silence podcast. I hope you're enjoying today's episode. I wanted to just tell you about a service that I provide that may be of interest to you or your family or one of your clients. It's individual money mindset coaching. What does that mean? That means I work with individuals to help them identify their automatic thoughts and beliefs about money and help them feel more comfortable and confident when it comes to finances. It is a short-term program that can really take you from being uncomfortable or a little fearful around money to being really confident. So if you're interested in finding out more, feel free to email me at kbk at breakingmoneysilence.com. And let's set up a quick phone call and see if money mindset coaching is for you. I am here with Courtney Paquette, and we are talking about Financial Literacy Month, and most importantly, what teachers can do in their school systems to teach personal finance. Courtney happens to teach personal finance and is teaching us some do's and don'ts. And we've been talking about Financial Literacy Center that she's involved in. And what I'd like to do is kind of pivot because one of the questions that always comes up around financial literacy when it comes to teaching students and you teach high school students is what can the parents do? You know, I know that that a student is in a system. It's the parents as well as the teachers, as well as the community. And I'm curious, like from your perspective, what could parents do to help their teenagers learn more about money or more about personal finance? Yeah, it's interesting because, again, it's it's that level of comfort and what a parent is comfortable with. But I think that there are some basic things is just having conversations with students about how much things cost. And I can't tell you how many high school students that I have in my classroom. Some of them are seniors. And I don't know if it's a switch where we're more, more focused on debit and credit cards and digital currencies and and we're not handling money as much as we used to. But the number of students who just struggle to, you know, like do some basic math with with paper and bills. So, I mean, even if it was just saying to the student, here's a little bit of the budget, you're going to help me decide when we go to the grocery store next week, how much we have to spend and and how much change we're going to get back, you know, just basic skills like that is something. But then I think also if parents are comfortable having conversations with their students, I know some of the students in my classes the other day said, yeah, I saw my parents file taxes one time and I said, how was that? And they said, they were miserable. They hated it. And I said, okay, I said, well, did you talk to them anymore about it? And then in class we had the conversation. And so the students have been filling out 1040 forms for a couple of days in my classes now, just so they get comfortable with it and they can have those conversations at home. But I think if parents know their child is taking a personal finance class, then also just asking them what they're learning, asking them to share that information at home. I think that's great too. But I think the more parents can can talk to the children about jobs that they have or, you know, what the neighbor does down the street, just students also don't have an idea of the careers that are out there, too, if they're not exposed to them. So those are things that I'm noticing with my high school students is I wish they knew more about careers and how much things cost and 
and what you have to pay for. And I know, again, sometimes that can be uncomfortable conversations. Parents might be nervous that the student's going to go back to school and tell their personal finance teacher or tell their their peers about these things. And so that that might be a barrier, but I think having that conversation with students to prepare them so they're not in shock when they have to pay their first bill. Well, and I think as a parent, one of the things you can do is pick an area that you are comfortable with. So Mm -hmm. I like the example of, you know, either making change at the grocery store or even saying, you know, my budget today is $100 and, you know, we have to stretch that as far as we can and have them really start to understand how things cost. Um, For others, it might be looking at a utility bill. For others, it might be something different, you know, going shopping and and buying school clothes. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, parents have control over that as to what they share and what they don't share. But what is really interesting is usually most of the information that kids could share in class can probably be Googled if someone was really interested anyway these days. But, you know, the other thing is, I know you work in a school system where a lot of the parents, I don't know if I should say a lot, but many of the parents, uh, maybe English is a second language or they are, you know, in a situation where they haven't, you know, learned these skills. Any thoughts about, you know, different types of parents? Because certainly, you know, affluent neighborhood is different than a really working class neighborhood in terms of, you know, what money means and, and, and the skills that maybe somebody has. Yeah. So, I mean, I talk to my colleagues in affluent school districts and, and it's interesting in the fact that it doesn't seem like the conversations are happening there either necessarily between no parents and children. So, I don't know, necessarily know that it's a socioeconomic issue, but it is, you're right, that there might be different conversations in the population I work in. So I work in the most diverse school district in Vermont, and we have 27 different languages spoken in our K-12 through district of about 800 students. So that makes it really unique, but it also brings in all kinds of different cultural perspectives too. And so I think that this is important is, is just understanding that there's different cultural beliefs when it comes around money. And so I want to be very, very cautious in all of my classes to never share personal judgments. Or and, and so I think that that's important because I don't want students to tune out my class if they disagree or they're hearing a different message at home. I just want to make sure I share with students, this is how I approach money and how I look at it. But I also just think that for my students, I hear this all the time that they always say, thank you so much for teaching me this because I'm able to help my parents. So when we looked at a lease in class, the students were able to go home and read their actual lease in their house and then translate it to their parents. I had a student awesome. last year. Yeah, I had a student last year who said the budgeting unit was her favorite thing that we did because she went home and she said to her mom, okay, here's where the money's going. Because for many of my students, they're actually writing the checks and they're paying the bills and they're doing these things for their families. And then many of my students also are in the boat where they're not exposed to money at all. So it's just, it's interesting to see the different levels they're at. But for my students, they're taking it home and they're sharing it with their families and their broader community, which I think is great. Like so many of my students speak a different language and they've said, I want to take this and I want to teach classes in my community at my community groups in our native language. And I just think that that's the power of personal finance. And again, having these conversations is that you make a greater impact on the larger community. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I I do want to jump back to that socioeconomic status thing, because often when I'm hired to do a client event, it's usually a wealth advisor, brings me in, it's fairly affluent, um, you know, parents. And you're right. I think the reluctance to talk to the next generation about money, whether you, no matter how much you have, typically is there. 
And what I think is so cool, which you do and I try to do is, you know, sometimes I'll go in and do a client event that's about raising financially fit kids. And so it's really about, you know, some of those lessons. But in my mind, I'm thinking parents are getting this too, but they're getting it through the lens of I'm teaching my kid about this. And that sometimes is less threatening. So a little bit different, but I think often the way to the parents and to help older generations is by helping the younger generation. Yep. Awesome. So, you know, the other thing is earlier you said you're working or had been working with the state to change the legislation or to make the, you know, personal finance part of what is required in the state. And so I'm wondering if somebody is listening out there who is a teacher or even somebody who is, you know, a concerned parent that wants to advocate, how might they get a course like this started? And how might they kind of approach the idea of being an advocate for personal finance? Yeah. So there's great organizations out there that would help with this too. But I would say that for each each teacher that I know that have, has gone from having no requirement to a requirement, it takes time. And sometimes there's there's the burnout in the process because it can be so frustrating because you have this content that every person needs to know. And it's so frustrating that it just doesn't, you, know, you can't just snap your fingers and make it happen. So for us to get it as a requirement at our school, I just started teaching the class as an elective. And then I had students who weren't taking the class because they thought other classes were more valuable for college. So I actually partnered with a local community college and had our class offered for three college credits in addition to high school credits just to try to get more students in the class. So that was one of the past. That's that I brilliant. Went. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yes. It, it was great. And again, you know, the students got the college credits and and the the material, which was so important. And then after that, our school just, we had a moment where we looked and said, what are our graduation requirements? Do we still agree with them? And we had brainstorming with with the community and each teacher had to pick one thing that they were most passionate about and had to be on the list. And for me, it was really tough because I love business and entrepreneurship, but personal finance, I think is the one thing that's going to apply to all of our students. And so that was where I said, this is where Our focus has to be, and we were able to get it as a graduation requirement, but that process took years. And in the meantime, we had students who had presented to our former principal and the former principal said, nope, we can't add another requirement, you know, and and there was just all these places along the way where it was frustrating and there was a standstill and we just had to keep moving with it. So I would say for anybody who wants to to follow this pathway and, and try to get the requirement in the school, starting off with just having a class, I think is a good first step. And then having the demand from the students that want more. And then once the class fills and the roster's filling, then you're going to have more spots for the class, I think. But then also just following the chain of command in the school system, which is talking to the principal and talking to the school board, talking to the superintendents and trying to get them on board with it, too. I love the work that you're up to. I mean, you know, the fact that you put your you know, you put a line in the sand and said, even though I really love business and entrepreneurship, I know this is important for all students. You sound like you're a phenomenal teacher. And certainly I probably would have paid attention a little bit more in your class than I did in some of the other classes that I attended in high school. So I I love what you're up to, Courtney. And thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Uh, For folks that want to know more about what you're up to or want to connect with you or even with the Financial Literacy Center at, at Champlain, tell us where Where's the best way to reach out and connect? Sure. So I have a LinkedIn profile that I'm sharing. So that way that can be put in with the bio for this podcast. As far as other things that people might be interested in is NextGen Personal Finance is another resource I use a lot in my classes. And they have a documentary that was 
featured actually at our school and in my class. And so we're one of the stories in that. And oh, no way. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. It's called The Most Important Class You Never Had. And that was that's just another example of how important this is and how it should really be part of every school's curriculum across the entire country. So I would say that that's a great resource for people too. Awesome. Well, you certainly are a breaking money silence revolutionary, and I am excited that we were able to have this conversation. So thank you so much, Courtney, for your time and your expertise. Thank you. I appreciate it. This episode is sponsored by Life Transitions by Dr. Amy. Helping financial advisors and their clients have deeper, more meaningful conversations so that life changes are better connected to financial plans. To find out more, visit dramy.life. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.